Well, the enemy destroyed them because of their sin, S-I-N. Yes, sin is real today, and it's something we need to face every single moment of the day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As we are discovering the Bible today, we're focusing on the 23rd chapter of Ezekiel. This is fascinating. We're going to teach on it in about five minutes' time. But Corey and Ryan, they're here. Corey? The people were finally about to face judgment and it was going to be a brutal time. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Ryan? Today I'm profiling the prophet and priest Ezekiel. You know, it's interesting because we're in the prophets and we're seeing all of this happen. Um, and, and, you know, through Jeremiah and all of that, it's really fascinating. Anyway, Janice. Today, who is the answer? Okay, open up your Bible. That's God's book to you, his words to us. And let's listen to what he says to us today as we hear the word of God. Ezekiel 23, 1 through 13. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ahola the elder and Aholabah her sister. They were mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola and Jerusalem is Aholaba. Ahola played the harlot even though she was mine, and she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted, with all their idols she defiled herself. She has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt, for in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, and slew her with the sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. Now, although her sister Aholaba saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and rulers, clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled. Both took the same way. Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 1 through 13. We continue to read through the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 23, 24 is what we read today. It's important to understand that God often uses analogies and parallels to help us better understand the gravity of our sin. And this is what God does in the book of Ezekiel. 
The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, a great prophet, with a parable about two sisters who played the harlot, Ahola, the elder, and Aholabah, her younger sister. Ahola represented Israel or Samaria, and Aholabah represented Jerusalem or Judah. The Lord speaks of their self-indulgent lifestyles. They were two beautiful women who lusted after men that God had told them not to go after. As a result of living out of their lustful fantasies and their promiscuous lifestyles of conscious sin, they were given up to their way of life. God gave them up. Like the sisters, Israel and Jerusalem had lusted after the ways of the other nations around them, made deals with them instead of obeying and trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. At the end, the Lord gave them up to their own passions and they fell because they did not restrain or repent of their lust and sin. They celebrated it. Now, let me ask you a question, a really important question. In my wallet, I have a dollar bill. Uh, it's an American dollar bill, and it says something very interesting on it. Uh, it says here, in God, we trust. In fact, I have a penny. We don't have pennies anymore in Canada, but I have a penny, a United States penny at home. And it says, in God, we trust. A quarter says, in God, we trust. All the currencies say, in God, we trust. What does that mean? In God, we trust. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we study the two harlots. Ezekiel 23, Father, I pray today as we focus our attention on this, that we would hear you. There's a lot of ideas we have in our head. Media flies around us all the time on the internet. Media is zipping over here, zipping there, radio. Everybody's telling us what. And Father, we pray that you would teach us the truth. I pray for the Christians who are listening to me that we would hear you, Lord, as we study your word. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, let's look at the scripture. This is interesting. Ezekiel 23, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ahola, the elder, and Ahoilaba, her sister. They were mine. And they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem is Aholaba. Ahola played the harlot, even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers in the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horses, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of, the, all of them choice men of Assyria. 
and with all for whom she lusted, with all their idols, she defiled herself. She has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt, for in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality on her. Words of the Bible. The elder sister, Ahola, was a harlot and remained one. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive us and save us from our sins. Only Jesus Christ has that ability. He is the one who paid the cost. He is the one who did the work. He is the one who rose again. He is the one who overcame because he was fully God and fully man. Only Jesus Christ. Let's go on. Ezekiel 23, 9. Therefore, I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness and took her or took away her sons and daughters and slew her with the sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. The enemy has destroyed or had destroyed Israel because of their sins. Nations fail because of their disobedience to God. Nations fail because of their disobedience to God. In God, we trust. Really? Is that true? Chapter 23, verse 11. Now, although her sister Oholabah saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. She lusted for her neighboring Assyrians and captains and rulers, clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And then I saw she was defiled. Both took the same way. The younger sister, Ohelaba, did worse than her sister. Jerusalem failed. Religious ideas and thoughts are never a solution to our sins. Only Jesus Christ is the solution to our sins. Let me tell you something. I have an answer for all of our problems in America, all of our problems in Canada, all of our problems in the world. I have the answer. You know what it is? Jesus Christ. That's the answer. No political party. Nope. Jesus Christ. Simple. Some will call me ignorant, but I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. And Father, I pray today, as we listen to these, this parable, these stories that God has told Ezekiel, I am so aware today of the struggles and the difficulties this world is in. And I pray, Father, today that people would begin to repent. And your church is growing in the East, but Lord, the West, it's failed. Help it to learn who you are. Jesus Christ, come back to us. Forgive us of our sin. Help us, Lord. We repent. Our sin, my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I need you in my heart today. 
I need you in my family today. I need you in my city today. Need you in my province or state. I need you in my nation. Help us today, Lord Jesus. And we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Welcome back to the program. Today, to go along with our reading of Ezekiel chapters 23 and 24, I thought it would be a good idea to profile the life of this great priest and prophet of God. Now, as we would expect, Ezekiel really does have a very unique and interesting story. So check it out. When Nebuchadnezzar carried off the first group of Jewish captives to Babylon in 597 BC, 25-year-old Ezekiel was serving in the temple as a priest. Though he was taken a thousand miles away from his home and unable to continue his priesthood, it was five years later that Ezekiel received his first vision from God. In this vision, God fed Ezekiel a honey-sweet scroll, a symbol that Ezekiel's words would come from God. He was to prophesy to the Jewish captives in Babylon. Ezekiel was a contemporary of the prophets Daniel and Jeremiah. In fact, Ezekiel and Daniel were both captives in Babylon together, and Daniel is referenced three times in Ezekiel's book. Although it is very possible that Ezekiel modeled his ministry style after his older contemporary Jeremiah, Ezekiel is also quite different. Referred to by God as Son of Man more than 90 times in the book of Ezekiel, the priest-turned-prophet is well known for his dramatic visions and street theater, in which he would act out the prophecies. Though bizarre, these dramatic performances were an effective way to ensure that the people would never forget, and it worked. In one of these performances, he slept on his left side for 390 days, and on his right side for 40 days. The point was that each day represented a year of sin, the left side for the northern Jewish nation of Israel, and the right side for the southern Jewish nation of Judah. On another occasion, he shaved his head and divided it into three piles. One pile he burned, which symbolized the Jews still in Jerusalem, who would die from the Babylonian attack. Another pile he cut with a sword, representing the Jews who would fall by the sword outside Jerusalem's walls. And the third pile he scattered to the wind, symbolizing the Jewish exiles. Even in Ezekiel's own personal tragedy of the death of his wife, God did not allow him to mourn, perhaps illustrating that the Jews would not be given the time to mourn their dead due to the invasion by the Babylonians. Though Ezekiel's initial message was prophesying the doom of the Jewish nation, once the destruction was over and the Jews were in Babylon, his message changed to one of hope. Indeed, in perhaps the most memorable vision of all, God brings the prophet to a valley littered with human skeletons. Son of man, God asks Ezekiel, can these bones become living people again? Then as one author so eloquently describes, within moments, bone clack rattling echoed through the valley as skeleton pieces snapped together. Soft tissue latched the bones in place and organs filled the skeletal cavities. Then flesh erupted and spread over each lifeless corpse. Decay reversed. Wind rushed into the valley of the shadow of death, restoring breath and life. The massive crowd stirred and stood. 
It was a promise that although the Jewish nation was dead, God would restore them at the appointed time. You know, I really like the observation that one scholar makes regarding Ezekiel. He says that if Ezekiel was 30 years old at the time of the inaugural vision, an intriguing connection can actually be made with the final vision of his book, which is dated to the 25th year of the exile, when Ezekiel would have been 50. Now, as Numbers 4 makes clear, the ages of 30 and 50 mark the span of the active service of the priests. As a member of the exilic community, though, Ezekiel would not have been able to participate in the ritual life of the Jerusalem temple. Neither would he have undergone initiation into priestly service while living outside the land. But perhaps the timing of these visions coincided with what would have been Ezekiel's working life as priest had he lived in Jerusalem prior to the exile. You know, it's really important to remember that God is never done with you. It's like that worship song says, if I'm not dead, then you, Lord, aren't done. You know, that's really something to hear because Ezekiel, this great prophet, is in the shadow of Babylon, yet he is he's existing there as a prophet to the nation. Mm -hmm. And he's also, we're going to find out he, he gets into the future and all of that too. It's oh, yeah. really something. God reveals amazing things through him. God sure. doesn't, yeah, he doesn't stop. He, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we may think that we can't do it, but God is always ready to use us wherever we're at, wherever we're going, however we're getting there. Very interesting, Ryan. Corey. All right. Well, today I want to talk about how looks aren't everything. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 24 that um, when Ezekiel's wife dies, God tells him, do not do all the customary mourning practices. And the customary mourning practices of Israel specifically, they were a little bit different than the surrounding cultures in what they excluded. But uh, Essentially, the idea was make your outside match your inside, right? You're feeling your your anguish, you're you're languishing away, and you're feeling anguish inside. Make that outside as well, so everyone knows and publicly mourn and, and go through the process. And God tells him, no, don't do this. And it was a sure sign that Jerusalem was about to fall. This place that looked great on the outside, but on the inside was full of death and now was facing judgment. Let's take a look at the historical event, this fall of Jerusalem in about 586 BC. In 586 BC, the Babylonian military led by King Nebuchadnezzar succeeded in breaking a two-year-long siege and destroyed much of the city of Jerusalem, her walls, palaces, and most devastatingly, the Temple of Solomon. Nebuchadnezzar was continuing his mission to secure and grow the resurrected Babylonian Empire. Years earlier, he had already made Judah a part of this empire, requiring yearly tribute. When Jerusalem's King Jehoiakim rebelled, Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city, won, and instead of destroying it, took in pledge into exile the new King Jehoiachin, much of the royal family, courts, nobility, priesthood, and military. Nebuchadnezzar then appointed a new king of Jerusalem, Zedekiah. When King Zedekiah rebelled once again, Nebuchadnezzar mustn't have been feeling very charitable. The Bible mentions that this siege lasted two years. This military maneuver sees the invading army set up camp all around the target city, cutting off supply lines and killing or taking prisoner anyone who would try to come or go. A few generations before this siege, King Hezekiah had brought a fresh water supply into Jerusalem by way of an underground aqueduct. 
but the siege had cut off all outside food sources for Jerusalem citizens. So it was a waiting game. Eventually, everyone in the city would begin to starve. And after two years, this was absolutely the case. The Babylonians even built a siege wall around the city as an added hurdle to anyone trying to escape, which Zedekiah eventually tried to do as the city's walls was being breached by the Babylonians. The Bible and archaeology agree that at least a portion of the city was burned. 2 Kings 25 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar burned the Lord's temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down all the great houses. In excavations carried out in the Ophel region of Jerusalem, burned houses dating from this time period were uncovered. In 1975 excavations, four arrowheads were found in a layer of ash at the base of one of Jerusalem's defensive towers, a chilling reminder of the struggle and fiery destruction of the city. So quite a brutal and devastating judgment. And, and we see you know, at the end of Ezekiel 24 and, and going into 25, this news of the fall of Jerusalem reaching the people. Uh, so it, it, it was a sure sign that had been given not only to Ezekiel, but to other prophets as well, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had been prophesying this destruction for generations and still the people had not repented and come back to God wholesale for any meaningful length of time that would have averted this crisis. And, and it happened. It's history now. Yeah, it is. And that's fascinating because when you read it and you begin to understand it, you understand this has happened. Mm -hmm. And so uh, God does what he says and says what he does. Yep. So yeah, looks aren't everything. It can look like, it can look like a, a thing is dedicated to God and, and you know, the, the temple looked great. And they were still operating. The temple was still functioning. But inside the temple, they were engaged in idolatry. And we looked closer at the actions of people. Uh, it was altogether not following the covenant of God. So. so the idea is we should pay attention to how we worship. Yeah. Pay attention to not letting the demonic forces get in. And let's focus on God, on Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And it's interesting too, isn't it, how things can easily creep in. Yes. Sometimes it's not a drastic or quick thing. It's a gradual or a slow fade. And um, today I said, who is the answer? And some of you are already saying, I know, I know, Jesus is the answer. And Rod, this whole segment came from listening to you teach uh, from your points. The third point today in the Bible guide was the younger sister, Aholaba, did worse than her sister, Jerusalem, failed. That was the first part because we were talking about two harlot sisters um, that God used as an example. And... Um, then the second part of that point was religious ideas and thoughts are never a solution to our sins. Only Jesus Christ is. And as soon as you said that, Rod, that song from way back, I think probably in the 70s, Jesus is the Answer by Andre Crouch. And some of you are already humming it. Some of you are already singing it. And some of you are saying, I've never heard of that song before. And I've been struggling with my throat lately with a cough. So I'm not even going to try to attempt to sing this today, but I am going to read some of the words because I think it's a great song. A lot of you would remember Andre Crouch. So this is Jesus is the answer. Re remember, as Rod has pointed out in his third point, religious ideas and thoughts are never a solution to our sins. Only Jesus Christ is. Now, take this to heart as you're listening. 
Here's the verse, or here's the chorus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. If you have some questions in the corners of your mind and traces of discouragement and peace you cannot find, reflections of the old past, they seem to face you every day. There's one thing I know for sure, that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. I know you've got mountains that you think you cannot climb. I know that your skies have been dark. You think the sun won't shine. In case you don't know, I'm here to tell you that the word of God is true and everything that he's promised, I tell you, he will do it for you. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. It is a great song. Isn't it a great song? I, I remember can Andre Crouch. Can oh, you I can hear that melody in your I head? I can hear You know, when I was, we were younger than our kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andre Crouch, I'll tell you, he got it going, you know, Jesus is the answer. It was great. And we were all singing and everything. It's great, yes. And and uh, it's a simple song, but yet it was really profound. Right. And uh, you, I remember uh, Tim Stevens is somebody who runs the teen ranch. And he said, a lot of people have these hard questions for God, and then they come to know God. And he said, the questions seem to go away. Mm-hmm. Not that they were answered, although they were, but they seem to fade away because Jesus has answered the question of their soul, yes. the question of their heart. That's very important. So I would say that uh, like our good friend, Andre Crouch had said, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other because Jesus is the way. Well, I'm going to mention it again. It is, of course, Rumble. It is a great social media network. I encourage you to get a hold of it because we're on Rumble. Bible Discovery TV is all our programs are there. And also the, the live channel is there. Bible Discovery Family and Friends, where we tape all the programs here in the studio and we put them on. So I want to encourage you to check us out on Rumble. Now we need to pray. Father, we pray, help us to be ready. Help us to be healed and help us to be willing to listen to you today. 